Um, well, we've made it made it to the end of the book of James. Maybe you've been looking forward to looking at this passage. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us by it. Thanks that you speak to us by it now. Um, and Lord, we pray that you'd help us to listen, help us to understand. Um, but Lord, in light of the last six weeks, we pray ultimately that you'd help us to have a living faith that we'd go away living out the faith that you give us. Amen. Well, um, what's the most bizarre end to a letter you've ever read? Here's a very famous one coming up on the uh, screen here. Believe me, I'd like to listen, but it just doesn't work. Because if I'm quiet and serious, everyone thinks I'm putting on a new act. And I have to save myself with a joke. And then I'm not even talking about my own family, who I assume who assume I must be sick, stuff me with aspirins and sedatives, feel my neck and forehead to see if I have a temperature, ask about my bowel movements and berate me for being in a mad, bad mood until I just can't keep it up anymore. Because when everybody starts hovering over me, I get cross, then sad and finally end up turning my heart inside out, the bad part on the outside and the good part on the inside. I keep trying to find a way to become what I'd like to be, and what I could be if if only there were no other people in the world, yours, and then it's signed off. Now, that's one of the most famous letters ever written. And I throw it up on the screen at the beginning. And straight away, it's a bit random, isn't it? It raises loads of questions. I wonder, as we read through it, if you worked out who this is. You'll know all about them, I'm sure. It's the last entry into Anne Frank's diary. And see, as soon as you know that, it answers so many questions. As soon as you know that and you know her context, it answers so many of the questions that you had as you read through that paragraph. It's obvious why she'd say, if only there were no other people in the world. It doesn't become so random anymore because she was violently oppressed. And as we come to the end of the book of James this evening, there's a danger if we just drop in, it might look a little bit bizarre, there's a danger it raises loads of questions. And it's so important that we look at it in light of what we've seen over the last six weeks. It's so important that we remember why James has written this book. Remember our series, Faith That Lives. James is addressing all the way through brothers and sisters with that genuine concern, the tone in his voice that we've kind of heard throughout the chapters, that they'd live out the faith they've been given. We started all the way back in chapter one, verse 18 this new living comes about by spirit imparted new life and it's in light of that 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 james all the way through the book says don't do this don't do that don't do this it's not you anymore you've got a new life don't behave like that that's not what you've been given life for don't show favoritism that's not what god's shown you don't ignore the needs of others do something don't live with selfish ambition and envy because it damages all your relationships. Don't think like that because it's not all about you. Don't make yourself the centre of all your plans because it's God who's in complete control. Don't cling to your money. Don't be a hoarder. Don't be wasteful. And all the way through, there's this kind of barrage of instruction because he knows exactly what it means to be prone to wonder. He knows that around every corner there's dangers that will mean that we'll be a person that DNFs, does not finish. 
so he tells us chapter one that we should expect that that constant help coaching instruction to continually look into the mirror of god's word and recognize what needs to change and so as, as james gives us these instructions he gives us that reminder in in chapter four that as we hear those challenges as it is it could be a bit like a barrage he gives us more grace the only way we'll cope the only way we'll go on living his way is if we humble ourselves before the lord and he will lift us up that's what james says in chapter four he'll go on making us more like jesus and so hear this message as he closes his letter his message in verses 13 to 20 if you remember one thing remember this humble yourself before the lord pray that's it pray 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 that's what james is saying look look at verse 13 are you in trouble pray are you happy pray praise god are you in need verse 14 pray do you need to confess your sin verse 16 pray there is no good time not to pray 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 god wants us welcomes us and invites us to come before him in prayer in all circumstances when we're suffering joyful sick in need in sin he wants us to pray when our faith is weak and when our faith is strong don't lose sight of that glorious truth as we go through the rest of our passage that our lord desires us to come before him in prayer in all things remember james is just desperate that we know how to navigate life with a faith that lives and he's saying don't let any circumstance happiness sadness hardship sickness illness wealth poverty return to work redundancy furlough lockdown freedom don't let any circumstance stop you from praying because if you do you're in danger of losing sight of god's grace in giving us new life james wants us to keep coming before the lord in prayer one of the key values we have as a church is dependence on god in prayer for this reason remember chapter 1 verse 8 there was nothing that we could do to add to or earn that new life it was given in everything we do we're completely dependent on god prayer is actively remembering that i'm dependent on god for everything especially then to have this new life and to continue living out this life of faith praying is demonstrating that no matter what my circumstances are god's way is most important and actually without him i am completely hopeless that's what james is first listeners were struggling with they were under real pressure culturally they were finding it really difficult what were they finding it difficult to do well to live out the faith to live god's way so what are james's closing instructions to them pray 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 well what is the prayer of faith he talks about well, as we read through, this is probably where you have some immediate questions. As we read through this section, the title added into the section calls it the prayer of faith. 
we're going to look at some of the nitty gritty questions that come up, but we'll do so in light of the whole book. Remember, James has spent five chapters helping us as readers to see what living faith looks like. He's already talked about what to pray for, what to hope for, what to expect, how to navigate life. But he ties up his book by saying, don't let anything stop you from coming to God. And when you do, pray in faith like this. But here's a few specific questions. Verse 14, why call the elders to pray over and anoint them with oil? Well, the elders are appointed as the shepherds of the flock to under the chief shepherd care for God's people. Part of what the elder or pastor is called to do is minister God's word and pray for the people. And so as elders, Lance, Johnny and myself, we care for our members. Part of what we do is we pray, especially through this series, that our members would have a, a faith that lives. But pray for our members in all ways, that they'd be well. In this context, why call them? Well, it looks like they can't gather physically. It looks like the person in need can't gather, gather physically with God's people. That's why it says pray over them by physically being there. But they're definitely in need of special attention because of their illness. So the elders go to be with them. Now, why anoint with oil? It's not that it's a sacrament that God initiates in scripture, such as baptism or communion. It's not. And oil itself, it doesn't have supernatural power to heal. But James clearly encourages something about this process. What is certain is that the use of oil here is to match a serious need with a serious response. It's simply a physical expression of special concern, bringing it before God. Would we anoint with oil at town church? Well, that's almost not really the point. The point is we'd expect that in a serious situation, in a time of serious need, our members would ask for us to come and pray. And we would. And we have. It is not that elders wield any additional power, the key to unlocking God. It is not. It's not that God immediately ratifies the request of any elder, but the elder is given a role to pray for their people. And the elder might help in navigating what a prayer of faith looks like in this given circumstance. Well, what does this actual prayer look like? What prayer of faith? Look at verse 14 and 15. What does it mean in the name of the Lord? What is the prayer offered in faith? A prayer offered in faith, it must recognise and acknowledge the object of that faith. What God is like and how he interacts with his people. We've seen all the way through the book of James what it looks like to live a life of faith. So the, the prayer of faith demonstrates that in how we communicate to God. It's praying in light of having new life, praying in light of what we all trust about God. Here's a few things through the book of James that, that really inform this prayer. James 1 verse 5 says, we're to ask in faith without doubt, knowing that God gives generously to all. Elsewhere, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. James 4 verse 7, we're to submit ourselves and humble ourselves before the Lord. 
James 4 verse 11, there's only one who's able to save and destroy. He goes on and on with, with really helpful instruction. We're to be patient until the coming of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. God is in complete control. James makes that so clear through his book. He loves to give good gifts, and yet we cannot expect them on our terms. He has the ultimate good of those who trust in him in mind. But that might not always be what we think we want, what we feel we want in that moment. A true prayer of faith, it must acknowledge that God is in complete control and it's God's will that must be done and it's God's decision that is the best thing for his people. In the context of the book of James, what's the primary concern of, of the prayer here? It's that the, the prayer itself would be a prayer of faith, that the prayer itself would be prayed in light of what we've seen about God all the way through the book of James. The people praying and the people being prayed about would have a living faith. That's in this intense situation where, where illness is specifically the issue. But really, it's any intense situation. The concern is that any circumstance wouldn't cause someone who trusts in Jesus to have a warped understanding about who God is, about what God is like. That's what James is all about, that people wouldn't misunderstand God or forget God or wander away from God in light of their current circumstance. But that the person in question might be able to go on living out a life of faith. How will they do that? Well, acknowledge that God is in complete control. He's compassionate, merciful, that our days are numbered on this earth. and these circumstances or situations, ultimately he will deliver us from them. And when you pray, when you pray like that, your primary concern will always be that you cling to the truth about Jesus. That will always be the primary concern of the prayer of faith. Not just that your circumstances would change, your primary concern will always be that you cling to the truth about Jesus. I wonder, do you pray like that? When it's really tough, when circumstances are overwhelming, that whatever the circumstances are, that your primary concern is that you'd trust God at his word? Another question. What does it mean to be made well and raised up? Will God always cure our physical needs right now? Will God always cure our physical needs right now? No, God won't cure us of our physical needs right now all the time. Because you can't possibly pray a prayer of faith that says to God, cure me of this right now or else. Because a Christian's faith isn't in the definitive immediate healing of their body that's not a prayer of faith that's a prayer of demand a prayer of faith might say god please cure me of this illness if it's your will take it away from me but if it's not help me to trust you through it help me to look forward to the day where i won't suffer from it 
and he will answer that prayer. If it's his will to heal physically in that moment, he will. If it's not, he will enable his people to trust him and follow him through it. He will answer that prayer. He will raise his people up to a physical new body. We see that in in heroes of faith in the Bible, of Paul, of Timothy. If it was just a case of getting the content of the prayer right, and you'd be delivered from physical illness there and then, they'd have got the job done. Even Jesus prayed, if it's your will, God, take this cup from me. He prayed in faith, knowing that the Father's will was what needed to be accomplished. Because, in fact, we'll all fall foul eventually to the same physical problem, bodily decay, physical, earthly death. And we know that we won't get that dealt with finally and fully until the day that we go to be with God in heaven. God may choose to, to heal us in our current need, in our present physical need, but God will always ultimately raise up his people to physical new life. He, he will deal with that issue of bodily decay and he will always work for the good of his people. But that might not always be intervention into physical health right now. And sometimes in our tunnel vision of our circumstances, that's really difficult to see. But it, it might not be the best thing for us to have our physical or any other need dealt with in the way that we think is best for us right now. The most important thing is our position before God. We trust in Jesus. We have been raised to spiritual new life and we will be raised to a physical one with him forever. The, the prayer of faith acknowledges that God in his goodness will give us all that we need. You might have seen in verse 15 that the illness is talked about to do with the sin. And the question raised is the illness a consequence of sin? What's the relationship between the two? Well, all sickness and illness exists in this world as a result of the decay that's come about by sin. Some of it is really obvious. Let's say tomorrow morning, for some reason, I got overly angry. And for some reason, I punched a wall in my house, a brick wall. In that moment, I'd break my hand, probably. And see, for the next six weeks, the pain in my hand is a physical reminder of that specific sin. It's an obvious consequence. Sometimes physical pain is an obvious consequence of sin. But not every sickness is attributed to a specific act of sin in that way. Really, practically speaking, we just often don't know. When you get a cold, it's not that you should be scrambling around trying to work out which sin caused it. It doesn't work like that. But we do know that all sin is to be repented of and all sin will be forgiven. And, and sometimes for the believer, desperate times are a good time to recognise that sin. In desperate times, can God in his grace 
give us moments of that personal weakness to help us recognize our sinful attitude to help us recognize where we're not depending on him well yes and that should cause us to return to it and it looks like in the context of this passage this is the specific example in james and what's james's ultimate concern that in that moment in that moment of pain weakness the circumstance that feels overwhelming what would they do well we in that moment we'd know to pray we'd go to god in confidence of who he is we'd know what he's like we would pray that god would deal with the situation whether it be physical healing right now or the ability to cope with the current circumstance by depending on him but ultimately raising us to new life with him that's james's ultimate concern that that no circumstance would take us away from our relationship with god that we would remain steadfast in the new life that he has given us. So here's the challenge to us as we pull together those questions. When you're becoming potentially overwhelmed by some circumstance, illness, job issues, whatever it be, do you pray? If it's something of of real concern, if you're even struggling to maintain perspective, you ask for help, When you pray, do you pray in faith, knowing what God is like, that he will help and that he will help the best way for you? Do you pray for God's will to be done? Are are your prayers focused around what he wants or what you want? And Are you completely confident he will answer? completely trusting that he might not answer in the way that you want and yet completely satisfied that the way he does will be the very best thing for you because a prayer like that it can't not work james gives the example of elijah you might have seen there in the passage elijah in the old testament he seemed to be pretty spectacular some of the things he does are amazing james says Christian, your prayers are as powerful and effective as his. Actually, the example of Elijah is pretty straightforward and it's really helpful for our passage because what's at the forefront of Elijah's mind is the position of God's people before God. Basically, God shuts the heavens, there's a famine because the people have sinned. They've been led by King Ahab to worship a foreign god. And so there's a drought in the land and the people have no water. Elijah, he's desperate for his people to come back to God. And after some time they do. And when they do, God opens the heaven, there's rain. And it's a sign that they've repented. Elijah's concern in his prayer all the way through is that his people would return to God. Now the results are spectacular. What's going on is amazing. What God does is incredible. But Elijah's concern all the way through is that his people would return to God. The prayer of faith, the immediate concern, is about wandering away from God and coming back. And that prayer is powerful and that prayer will work. And James says, just like Elijah, well, actually, we have to have our own interests 
the interests of others wandering away from God in mind. We'll want to return to God in prayer and that we'd have that concern for others as well. I don't know if you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Probably watched the film, I'm guessing. The film of the four Pevensey siblings navigating the, the world of Narnia. But Edmund, in the, up there on the mountainside, Edmund quickly finds himself wandering away from Aslan. Peter, Susan and Lucy, they're brave, faithful and honest to Aslan, the Lion King of Narnia. But Edmund is growing increasingly resistant to Aslan and increasingly closer to the White Witch. Without knowing it, his life is in increasing danger. And that storyline goes on through the book and the three siblings just care so much for their brother. They're desperate that he would come back to Aslan. And there on the screen is this brilliant scene as Aslan brings Edmund back to the edge of the camp and they have this conversation and you're thinking, what's going on? Is Aslan going to deal with Edmund? What, what, what's going on? And Aslan walks Edmund down towards his siblings. Aslan, as the three siblings are looking at Edmund, worrying what's happened, Edmund kind of sheepishly shuffles into camp. He says, what's done is done. There's no need to speak to Edmund about what is past. Look at verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring them, that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What's done is done. There's no need to speak about what is past. That is the joyous moment when God turns someone from the error of their ways. James says, pray that no one wanders away. See, it's that same concern that there wouldn't be wandering away from God, that no circumstance would get in the way. I text a friend this week. I'm not claiming any credit for it, really, because it's only the spirit of work in me that made me want to do something that I've thought about doing for a long time as I read this passage. Said this, I've been prompted to pray for you more and more recently. I know I quickly bottle the question of where you're at with God but you have to know that I want you to come back and chat with me. I'm preaching on this passage in James on Sunday, and I can't in any conscience preach it and not message you. It would be great to chat properly. Hope you're good. That's obviously a friendship that knows exactly the context of that conversation. And that's what James is saying. James is desperate that we wouldn't wander from the truth. And if you're listening, and you've maybe had a text like that from even one of our church family. Please hear this. That text is not a judgmental text. If you've received the text like that, and I have an, I know my first instinct is, great, great. Please hear this. That text is a text we could all be sending as we think about who it is that could be in danger of wandering away because just like James, we are to care so deeply for those that are at risk. That's the message James is sending to every one of us. Don't wander away from living out this faith. This evening, then, as we pull it round, are you not sure if you have this faith? Pray. Are you not sure you're living out this faith in every area of, that we've seen in the book of James? Pray. Are you struggling in a very specific circumstance? Pray. 
Do you need to confess your sin to God? Pray, because a new life transformed by the good news of the gospel will affect every area, every area of our life. It will bring new living. It will bring you joy, assurance and hope. And it will cause us to come back to God in complete dependence for all things. Will we go on returning to him, to him in prayer? Let's, let's do that. Father, we thank you so much that you tell us in your word in so many places to come before you and pray. Thank you that you care deeply that no circumstance would get in the way of us coming back to you. Lord, help us to remember this. And Lord, for those that we know of that seem to be wandering away, we desperately care. And Lord, we desperately bring them before you now. Lord, would you use us as you bring them back? Would you use us as part of that work? Amen.